This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Uh, We're in a sermon series in the book of Matthew, in the gospel according to Matthew. And it's been an amazing journey. Last Sunday, we were in chapter number five, and uh, we've made some progress. And uh, today will be the 11th uh, installment of our sermon series. So we've been in the sermon series for 11 weeks, so to speak. Uh, Last Sunday, anybody remember what we talked about last Sunday? Meekness. We talked about meekness not being weakness. How many of y'all were blessed by that message? Amen. Uh, I got messages throughout the week from a few of you guys talking about how you have been spending time with your family and your kids, uh, studying that passage and understanding uh, a, a little more in depth as to what it means by being meek in the presence of God and what meekness truly is. And uh, today, we're making progress, uh, and we're continuing from where we left off, and we're going to just make our way through this passage. But in Matthew chapter 5, verses, I'm going to read verse 1 to 7. Is that okay? Follow along in your Bibles. We have notes up there. If you have the Bible app with you, please scan that QR code. It should pop up all the notes on the Bible app, and you guys can take down simultaneous notes on your Bible app with the notes that are provided. So, Or if you want to do traditional notes on your notepad on your phone or on your diary, you're welcome to do that as well. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went upon, up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. All right. A beautiful passage of scripture. And uh, last Sunday, uh, last Sunday we spoke about uh, the meek. The meek shall inherit the kingdom of God, or what it means uh, when it says we are blessed when we are meek. We talked about how meekness is not weakness; rather, meekness is our ability to harness strength, to control our strength that God has given us. Verse number five, the Bible says six. The Bible says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness." for they shall be satisfied. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The word Beatitudes in chapter number 5 contain these lists of biblical principles or kingdom principles that you and I are mandated with and tasked with uh, by by holding on to and, and, and in living by. They are principles. They are things that we stand by and believe in. They are things that God instructs us to take in our stride and obey, and and if we walk in them, the Bible talks about how important it is for us as Christians and believers to stand by these things, but it's important in that first verse when Jesus says, he goes, when the Bible says he goes up the mountain, away from the crowds, away from the fans, away from the people, he distances himself, and only his disciples come to him. This is remarkable. Because Jesus is addressing Christians. He's addressing believers. He's addressing men and women that want to have a personal relationship with him. This is not for everybody. 
He's, he's about to tell us that these qualities that he's about to open up in front of us is not for the general public. It's not for fans. It's not for people that want to know about Jesus. This is for people that are serious about Jesus. This is for people that want to take the kingdom of God seriously. And he goes to this list. The word Beatitudes is this word called blessed. It has a lot to do with the, the blessing that God gives his people, the, 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 the fruitfulness that God gives us as his people. It's transliterated from the literal word beatitudo, which, beatitudo in Latin, which means blessed. In Greek, it's the word makarios is where we get that word from. And literally, it means to have bountiful, to be, to be filled with God's anointing, to be filled with God's blessing. And verse number six actually says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I want to spend time on seven, but I have to mention verse number six because it connects last week's message to this week's message. See, hunger and thirst is a good thing. It's not a good thing when you're actually hungry and thirsty and you have no food and you have no water. You guys know, right? Some of us have a problem with being hungry all the time. That's, that's me. I don't know about you guys, but how many of you find yourselves like walking up to the refrigerator and just opening it up and just staring into it, into oblivion? And you're like, what do I eat? What? Or it's the pantry. How many of y'all find yourselves going to the pantry and just like staring like, what do I eat today? Hunger and thirst is a good thing, y'all. We have doctors sitting over here. The doctors and the nurses and people in the medical profession will tell you that healthy people hunger and thirst. It's sick people that don't have an appetite. How many of you have ever been sick before? Anybody? Yeah, you've been ill. You've been sick. Five of y'all? Good. The rest of y'all just super healthy people. Pray for the rest of us, please. You've been sick, right, at some point in your life? How many of you, when you're sick, you're like, I'm hungry, I'm, I'm ravenous for food. Like, I can't wait to eat, I can't wait to drink, I can't wait to feel. No, you're icky, you're, you're sick, no matter what it is. It might be soup, it might be, you know, it could be uh, fried chicken. It does not seem appetizing at all. How many of you have been there? That's, that's just symptoms of being sick. You don't want to eat. You lose some weight. This, it's the process of being sick, and, and it, it shows on the outside. It shows that you are lethargic. It shows that you are weak. It shows that you're not, you don't have full, full of energy. You're not as, as, as energetic as you usually are. It could be our little girls that are sick sometimes, and, and when they're sick, they don't want to eat. They don't have an appetite. And no matter how much we try to force that milk down their, their, their mouths, and no matter how much we try to feed them, it doesn't matter because anything that you try to put inside comes shooting out. How many of you have been there spiritually before as well, where you're sick in your bodies and you just don't have an appetite at all? How many of us in our lives just go through our spiritual lives and you're like, man, I just, I, I don't know. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling God. I don't feel the presence of God in my life. How many of you hunger and thirst every single day for righteousness? How many of us hunger and thirst for God? Sadly, the problem is that our world is feeding off so many things and us as Christians have so many things readily available for us that we don't need God fully to satisfy our hunger and our thirst. And today God is looking at us and saying, blessed are you. 
Makarios, are you? Blessed are you. You are filled with goodness. You are filled with prosperity. You are filled with blessing if you hunger and thirst after me. Hunger and thirst is a good thing, y'all. Hunger and thirsting after God is, is looking at God and saying, God, I have this, this appetite for you. The things of the world don't satisfy me. Come on. When we come into the presence of God, it's a, it's a message that you're sending to God saying, God, I've tried it all. I've done the entertainment. I have done the friends. I have done this and that and the social, social stuff. I've done all of that, God. But nothing in this world satisfies me like you satisfy me. The psalmist is like the deer panteth for the water. My soul longeth after thee. That's the righteousness that the Bible talks to us about. So many of us don't hunger and we don't thirst because there's something inside of us that distances us away from God. You know the other people that don't hunger and thirst? When you come to the table full. I used to do that when I was in college. I would eat all the junk before dinner time. I'd go to a restaurant with my friends, go have dinner there, and then come back home, and mom would be like, hey, dinner's served. Mom, I'm not hungry, mom. I, I ate. I ate. I ate already. Mom's like, mom, but I prepared this amazing, amazing dinner for you. But, but, and, and, and that's, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's no matter how good of a dinner table that is, that's, that's set before you, it does not matter. It's irrelevant because Throughout, throughout the day, you've been filling yourselves up with junk. Come on, somebody. I, I, we understand. I was talking to somebody about the state fair yesterday and said, hey, we're going to the state fair this week. We're going to eat real good before going to the state fair. Because <laughs> you know how it is. They be taking your money, y'all. I ain't about to spend $200 on some corn dogs. You know what I'm saying? It can't be that good. No, it's good. It's, it's definitely good. Those funnel cakes. Focus, Ashish, focus. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, right? Sometimes we fill ourselves so much to the point where we don't want what, what, what God has for us. So many of us arrive so full at the table. So many of us arrive so full on Sunday mornings. So many of us, we, we reserve our time for God when we have nothing left. I, I want to talk to some people today. I want to encourage some of us to give our best time to God. Do not give your best time to the world. What is the time that you are most active? What is the time that the, the enemy has no control over? What is the time that your children have no control over? What is the time that your husband or your wife do not influence that time? What is that time that you, you are 100% to yourself? That's not the time you go to Netflix. Come on, am I talking to somebody? We know it's readily available on your phones, but that's not the time. That's the time you look and say, you know what? I'm going to give my best to God. Sometimes we give our time to so many things in our life that we are left with nothing to give to God. And we, when we give nothing to God, we are in this quest for receiving without even giving. And God says, man, this, this communication is a give and take. Unless you give, you can't take. And for so many of us, we are, we are going through life and we're like, Lord, we want, we want, we want. But unfortunately, we come to the table already full. And today I'm asking how many of us need to kind of retrospectively look into our lives and ask ourselves that question, man. Am I hungry? Do I come into the presence of God hungry? 
For so many of us, it's, man, we, we, we get up early and we're working out and we're, 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 doing, we're doing the different things that we need to do. But when am I most productive? Is God getting my most productive time? There used to be a time in my life where when I was a, when I was a new pastor, I would, I would preach on Sundays. I would work throughout the week. And it was, it was hard work planting a new church. And throughout the week, I was like working, working, working. And, and Sunday was like the, the main day. And it was, it was awesome. It was powerful. God moved. And, and signs and wonders and miracles and breakthrough happens. And, and Monday, man, well, Sunday evening comes, I'm depleted. I am tired. And guess what I did on Mondays? I took the day off. I took the day off. It was one of the most craziest seasons in my life because I started off Tuesday or Wednesday on a note that was so much from a point of empty rather than from a point of full because the, the day that I had to kind of kickstart my week, the first day of the, the second day of the week where I had to propel myself to take off was the day that I was resting. The best day that I thought was, was God giving me the ability to, 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 to be fresh, to, to start new. And then I looked at the word and the word says, and Jesus, and then God worked and worked and worked. And he didn't rest on sec the second day. He didn't say, I'm resting on this. He, he waited till the end of the week to rest. Then I looked at Sonia and said, man, we got to change some things around. We moved our rest day to Friday and, 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 and the most of Saturday. We're resting because we know that Sunday is our main day. And then Monday, we give our best to God. And Tuesday, we give our best to God. And then the hump day comes and we're going to go down. We know how the week goes. How many of y'all know how your week goes? And for some of us, it's our day. When is your most productive during a day? What is the time that you are most productive? When is the time that you are most attentive? Does Jesus get that time? Are you going into the word during that time? Are you asking God about what he wants to speak to you during that hour? Because that hour can be crucial in your life. If you're nonchalant and unmoved by unrighteousness that surrounds us, man, there's something really wrong with our hearts. The Bible says, those who, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied, is what the Bible says. But in verse, seven, verse number seven, the Bible says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Someone say merciful. There's this, uh, there's, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about this word mercy. And growing up in the 90s, I watched Full House. How many of y'all watched Full House? And Uncle Jesse saying, have mercy. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that just came to me. The moment I, 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 I read merciful, that's the first thing. And, and the second thing that came up to me was, came to my mind was this, this, this show on Facebook called Caught in Providence. I don't know how many of y'all watched like an episode of that. It's this judge called Judge uh, Frank Caprio. It's, it's, he's up in Providence. And this dude is such an amazing judge, okay? He's not the definition of a cruel judge. He is the definition of a fair judge, okay? He's basically looking at people, not, not according to the color of their skin, not according to what they wear, just listening to stories and finding out what is going on in their lives, He takes time to, to listen to more than the conviction. He takes time to read more than the conviction. He takes time to listen to the person's heart, to see why they parked where they parked or what's going on in their lives. And he makes a decision, a calculated decision based on the wisdom that he has, not just to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to you know, convict this person or offer a punishment to this person based on what they did, but I'm also going to take their life circumstances into consideration. 
And you find him forgiving so many people, pardoning so many people, putting so many people in layaway, uh, you know, payment plans to make sure that they can afford the fines that they're paying. They look, he looks at their socioeconomic status. He just doesn't pass judgments based on his feelings. People started wondering about how, how much decrease there's been in city revenue because of this merciful judge. It was actually several years ago that a city tax official approached Judge Caprio about lost ticket revenue in the city. And he looked at him and said, hey, I think your decisions are losing the city revenue, precious revenue that needs to come in. Come on, somebody. To which Judge Caprio shot back and said, I'm not a revenue enhancement officer. I am a judge. You know, in the court of law, mercy always trumps justice. It's, it's beautiful how, 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 how when, you're, when mercy kicks in and when people see mercy come out, there's, there's a side of people. See, unmerciful people are described in the Bible as people that are cruel, uncompassionate. They're described as evil and wicked, risking eternity in hell. That's what the Bible describes people that are unmerciful as. Do you know when the Bible, when, 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 when this, this, this book is being written in the Roman era back in the day, mercy was actually seen as a sign of weakness, not as a sign of strength. Not as a sign of, oh, you're merciful? Man, I'm going to give you 10 points. No, no, no. It was actually seen as, oh, you're not strong enough. Kind of what we talked about last week. Philosophers, Roman philosophers actually called mercy as the disease of the soul. But as we look at the life of Jesus, he lives out mercy throughout his life, y'all. He teaches about mercy. He, he, he lived his life of mercy. The way he looked at people, deals with people, talks to people, communicates with people. It is a life that is driven by mercy. This word mercy is this word ili iman, which means actively compassionate. It doesn't mean pity. But action that leads, or, or, or a pity that leads to action. It's not, oh, I just feel sorry about you. It's a, I feel sorry, but I'm going to do something about it. How many of us in our hearts can say, man, I am merciful in my heart? Because mercy translates from just feeling to doing something about that feeling. There are so many of you that might look at issues that are going on in the world and just not say, oh, man, I feel so bad. But you would actually do something about it. It could be in person, it could be hands-on, it could be through your money, it could be through your voice, it could be through your, your speech, it could be through, your, through, through different things. It could be the way you raise your children, you always observe about what's going on and the misery that this world has and you always translate that into doing something about it. And then yet there are others who sit back and say, well, it's not my business. It's not my battle to fight. See, the same word, Eli Iman, is used in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, where the Bible says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and high, faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The Bible is talking about Jesus as the merciful priest. Not the one that's, that's, that, that's hard on, but, but the merciful one. The one that is in service to you. The one that stands in the gap for you and for me. See, this word merciful is just not a feeling of pity, but it's something that leads to action. Do you know that you and I are being like Jesus when we are merciful? Merciful. 
When we are merciful, we are being the hands and feet of Jesus to the people around us. Sometimes I pray that we as Christians and believers will feel what it is to be in the shoes of other people. Just like the judge, of, the judge that I talked about. Get out of my suit. Get out of my gown. Get out of my high chair. Get out of my comfort zone. Get out of my, 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 my chambers and see what regular people have to deal with day after day. What do my co-workers have to deal with day after day? What does my husband or my wife or my kids have to deal with day after day? Why am I tasked by God to be merciful to other people? But because without your knowledge, there are so many people in this world that are suffering. There are so many people that are going through distress and, and rejection. And they're going through stuff in their life that they have no idea how to come out of it. And they can just use a merciful soul. I can't think about that. I can't, I can't stop thinking about that show because the number of people that walk in with their guard so high because they think that they've committed something really bad, which they probably have, violations, tickets that they have, crimes that they've committed, and their guard is up. They're about to be sentenced. Some of their demeanors are so rough. Some of them are, are I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm just going to protect myself. And it's amazing how when this judge starts hearing their stories, their hearts just start melting because there's somebody across their, the, the table that's actually listening to their story rather than just passing judgment. Mercy is about you and I taking time to listen. Taking time to, to understand what's going on in this world around us. You know what sympathy does? There are so many sympathetic people in this room. Sympathy is when you say, when I feel, I feel sad for you. I'm, sad, I'm, I'm so sad that you lost your job. I'm, so, I'm sorry that you lost your job. I'm sorry that you know, you're, you're, you know, you've been evicted out of your house. I'm sorry that you're going through what you're going through. I'm sorry that you lost your uncle. I'm sorry that you lost your grandfather. That's what sympathy is. You know, you know what empathy is? Empathy is where I understand how terrible you feel because I've been there before. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can actually look at somebody and say, hey man, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. I, I know what that feels like. That's empathy. Like, I could be, I, I, I could look at my wife. We have three children and she's been, she's given birth to three girls. And not once did I actually, um, you know, <laughs> was, was in the delivery room with her, hold her hands and say, babe, I feel exactly what you're going through, babe. Just, just hang in there. You got this. Go, go ahead. Come on. One last push. Come on. No. I can't. I can't empathize with her, Bergese. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because I've never been there. Come on. Am I talking to somebody? I can't look at her and say, you don't need that shot. Come on. You, you, you don't need that. Come on. You're strong. You're bold. You're brave. You can do all things through Christ. No, 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 no. I can't do that. <laughs> never been there before. It's one thing to sympathize. It's another thing to empathize. But mercy then kicks in and says, man, I'm sorry that you lost your job. Empathy will probably say, I'm sorry you lost your job. I've been there before. But mercy will say, hey, I'm sorry you lost your job. I've been there before. Let me pay your bills this month. Ooh. Mercy will say, hey, can I pay for your phone? Mercy will say, can I pay half of your rent this month? Mercy will say, can I 
please come alongside you. And I know you probably might say no, but mercy is saying, let me do something about my empathy. Let me do something about my sympathy. And Jesus is saying, we need more merciful people. Not just Christians that have Christianese. Oh, I hope you feel better, brother. You're in my thoughts and prayers. Don't need your thoughts and prayers, bro. Do something. Come on. Am I talking to somebody? Like, like, sorry. How do I put this in nice? It's not that I don't need your thoughts and prayers. That's important. But sometimes words can be meaningless. If it doesn't come accompanied with action. I can say all I want to say, but if, if I don't follow that up with something that I do, it's just, man, I'm not valid. And Jesus is looking at us and saying, you want to be blessed? You want to make an impact? You want to make the world notice you? You want the world to meet me? Be sympathetic, be empathetic, but yet even what's more than that is be merciful to people where you can stoop down and say, let me do something about it. Oh, you can't afford that? I understand that you lost your job. You may not be able to pay $120 in fees. So guess what? I'm going to make that a $20 uh, penalty. And let me tell you this. How much can you afford today? Five bucks? All right, pay five bucks today. And you can come back every month over the next four months and pay the rest of the money in installments. That is mercy. That is mercy. Mercy is when we refuse to give somebody what they deserve and instead give them what they do not deserve. I'm going to say that again. Mercy is when you, you give somebody, uh, where you refuse to give someone what they deserve and instead give them what they do not deserve. You deserve a hundred bucks. You deserve a penalty of a hundred dollars. No, but, but that's what you deserve. But mercy is saying, I'm not going to give you that. See, justice takes us to what we deserve, but mercy takes us further to what we do not deserve. And that's what we find in the story here in Matthew chapter 18. And, and when we come to this passage, I'll probably skip this because I've, I preached about this before, but Matthew 18, 21 to 35, the Bible talks about this story. Then Peter came up and said to him, I'm going to read this passage, so just follow along. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Here's, here's Peter that's probably been hurt or sees people hurting him. How many of y'all been there before where you've been, you've been hurt and Peter's like, man, I'm tired of this. Jesus, you keep telling me to forgive. I need to, I need to clarify. Let's get this straight is what Peter's saying. How many times should I forgive him? And he suggested Jesus and said seven times because that's what I've been doing, Jesus. This is the seventh and I'm over it. How many of you have been there before? Lord, I'm over it. I've forgiven. I've done everything that I've, you know, I could do. I'm at the end of the rope. I think I can't go on. Verse 23. Therefore, Jesus starts telling a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him a thousand, ten thousand talents. Ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had. And payment was to be made. What did the servant do? Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, begging him, have patience with me, and I will pay for everything, pay you everything. And out of pity for him, mercy for him, that's the word, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now listen to this. 
He himself gave the master and said, hey, you know what? Just give me some time. I'll pay it. That's what he deserved. Punishment was what he deserved. But here's this man coming and saying, dude, whatever you don't deserve, out of pity, out of mercy, the master said, I will forgive you all of the debt. So this man gets up, verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, a guy that was under him, who owed him a hundred denarii, almost nothing to what he first owed. And seizing him, he caught a hold of him. And the Bible says, he put his hands on his neck and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Ooh. I'm talking to some Christians today. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused. He went and put him in prison until he should have paid the debt. Okay, when his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly dis distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all your debt because you pleaded with me. I showed you mercy and should, and, and should not have had mercy on your fellow servant. The guy that was under you that owed, owed you a hundred, did you not have mercy on him is what he's saying. And in anger, his master to deliver him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's this unpayable debt. Literally this man went bankrupt. Pleads for mercy. And the Bible says, this king has mercy on him. And, he, and, and this man receives the mercy, receives the gift, receives the blessing, literally walks away. And on the way home, rejoicing that he has been granted mercy, he finds somebody and he grabs him by the throat. It's so easy for us to forget and refuse to show mercy, isn't it? You know where the trouble begins? James Hunter says this, we Americans want to think of ourselves as generally good people. This, in many respects, is where the trouble begins. The Bonner Group did a study not too long ago and, the, and what they found out was 83% of Christians and believers think that they are basically good. We're good. We're good at heart. In fact, what Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 to 12 says is this, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one is righteous is what the Bible says. And guess what that includes? You, that includes me, it doesn't matter what we do. You ready for a quick poll? Ready for a quick poll? All right. How many of you, quick show of hands, how many of you have ever lied in your life? Can I see your hands? Okay, 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 good. Not only me? All right, good. How many of you have ever stolen in your life? Can I see your hands real quick? All right, fewer people than before. I have. How many of you have ever cursed before? Come on, can I show your hands? Thank God for good, honest people in this room. Don't worry, I'm not going to remember your faces. How many of you, no show of hands right now, how many of you have actually lusted, don't, don't show me your hands, have lusted after somebody? 
Don't want to put anybody on the spot right now. How many of you have committed murder? Now, we're going we're gonna to find some murderers, make a Netflix movie about it. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, but how many of you, and, and, and the Bible actually says, and some of you are like, murder, kill somebody. Oh, I've never done that, pastor. I'm good. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. The Bible says even if you have anger in your heart, you have committed what? Murder. Woo! So by your own confession, can we, can we do this? By your own confession, you have said that you are lying, thieving, adulterous, murderers. That's what I just told everybody I am. Oh, that has been my life at some point in time, right? And I'm not guilt tripping you here. That's not what the goal is. But until you recognize and accept how bad you were and you are, you will never recognize how good God is. I'm, I'm telling somebody today, unless and until we take time day after day to go into the presence of God and say, God, I am a wretched soul. I am a sinner at my innermost being, but for your grace, but for your mercy, but for your love, but for you. Come on, somebody. You will never understand that God's love for you is eternal and powerful. Like, oh, this is good. I, I love this topic. Because 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 to 11 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's what it says. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. Come on, verse 11. You were that. But remember this, you were washed, you were sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You were, you were not that same person you used to be before, but for Jesus, you are a new creation. Come on. This passage will always remind you because it reminded Paul of who he was. He's like, yeah, I, I do all this stuff, man, but I don't want to lose focus of who I, I really am in the core of me. It's a passage meant to remind us where we came from. See, God forgets your past, but the Bible doesn't say you should forget your past. That's not what the Bible says. God forgives us. God erases it. But it's important for you guys to put bookmarks in every single place that God walked into your life and forgave you. God gave you another chance. God gave you, showed you mercy. God showed you grace. The people that walked into your lives and gave you a second chance. The people that walked into your life and gave you a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. Put a bookmark there because one day... There's somebody that you're going to encounter that is going to need that same kind of forgiveness, even not bigger or better, somewhere along those lines. I pray that you will look back and you will say, I did not deserve mercy, but I received it. And because of that, I cannot help but exude mercy to people around me. Bookmark it. Fold the tip of that paper. Fold the tip of that paper in that book and say, this place, page number 19, this was the exact spot that I was a recipient of mercy. See, if we forget the mistakes we've made, it's so easy to become self-righteous and forget the mercies of God. When we forget the mercies God shows us, we forget how to show mercy to others. Simply put, y'all, and Paul is so thankful 
If you, if you look at 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 16, it says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Someone say mercy. I deserved this, but God taught me, taught that I was, I was deserving of his grace. And he said, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst of them all, but I received mercy every single day. Wake up by saying, I'm the worst of them all. I'm the worst of them all. I don't deserve an iota of God's mercy and his love, but he counted me. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Show mercy to other people. People will meet Jesus. Can I leave a few things with you and then I'm going to close? Point number one is this. Merciful people don't get offended easily. It's hard to offend people that are filled with mercy in their lives. If forgiveness rules your heart, it is hard to offend you. Because you have, you have resolved and made up your mind to forgive even before you were hurt in the first place. James 1, 19 and 20 says this, understand this, my beloved brethren, let every man be quick to hear, a ready listener, slow to speak, slow to take offense and to get angry. When you get angry, when you get offended, think that you were offensive to others at one point in time. Before Jesus, before Jesus, our entire life was offensive to God. Do not forget that. But Jesus covered your offense and our offense by his love. And remember what we, you and I are called to do. We're called to cover offenses. I'm going to open something up for you guys today. We are called as sons and daughters of God to cover offenses. Someone say, cover offenses. What do you mean, brother? We're called to cover just like Jesus did. Proverbs 17 and verse 9, the Bible says this, whoever covers an offense seeks love. The Bible says Noah's kids covered his nakedness. It's so important to cover offense, to protect, not to rule judgment, not to put people down, not to strike people down. How many of us want to cultivate love? You know what our culture promotes? Our culture promotes whistleblowers. That's what our culture loves. Our culture will give them a podium. Our culture will give them a newspaper article. Our culture will make them go viral. Our culture will give them millions of dollars to have a story put up on the shelves. Of, come on, am I talking to somebody? Our culture promotes whistleblowers. And that's who we become. Man, we're, we want to air our grievances and Google reviews and Yelp reviews. Oh, I didn't like their ambiance. So let me go ahead and post a bad review Girl, let me tell you about my experiences where I went. No. Go, girl. Go tell everybody your experiences. Let me clap for you. Because that's what our community, our society, our culture promotes. 
You've been wronged. Go speak your truth. You're offended? Let me encourage your offense. Our God is a God of the cover-up. Our God is a God that gives you mercy and gives you grace. You're upset that that waiter didn't come when you wanted her to come. You're upset that that waiter didn't wait on you like she should have. But forget the fact that that was her first day at work. Forget the fact that she probably lost her dad the day before. Nobody wants to know the story behind whatever's going on. We are a culture so self-obsessed that we rather tear somebody down rather than offer mercy. When people see you on the roads and in the supermarkets and in restaurants, I pray that they will see Jesus radiate through your lives. In the way you tip your waiters and your waitresses, in the way you treat them, in the way you talk to them, in the way you signal to them, in the way, come on, am I, am I talking to somebody? The least of them, how you treat the least of them matters, church. I cannot stress this enough. We are producing a body of Christians that are so self-absorbed. And Jesus said, show mercy. Show mercy. The last thing he ever did is an act of genuine, beautiful love and sacrifice was on that cross. He looked at somebody that he didn't even know. And he offered mercy. Undeserved grace. John, you can get ready to come up. What does this master do out of the mercy? And the, the Bible says in verse number eight, chapter number 18 and verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. But what did he do in return? He went for his throat. We thank God for being merciful to us. As long as God, God, thank you so much for being gracious to us. Thank you for another lease of life. Thank you for, for blessing us. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag grace. All of that is great for us. But when we are supposed to exercise mercy on other people, the first thing we do is hit them where it hurts the most. You hurt me, I'm going to find a way to hurt you where it hurts the most. And this man went for his throat, y'all. How many of us have done that in the past? No, I don't want anyone to lift your hands. John 8, this woman that's caught in the act of adultery. These men drag her to the middle of the, the courtyard and, and Jesus is standing there and he says, what do you have to say, Jesus? And Jesus looks at them and says, if there's one among y'all that have not sinned, if you do not have sin in your hearts, cast the first stone. All the rocks and stones come falling to the ground because when you and I understand the condition of our hearts, oof, we love mercy but hate to be merciful to others. We love the idea of mercy when it applies to us. Can I leave the second thing with you? Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. See, the people I worry the most about is people that are unforgiving and unmerciful. That's, trust me, as a pastor, I don't judge people. I, honestly, I'm not keeping a record of those who accepted Jesus. If you don't, if you're walking, no, 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 that's not what I'm keeping a track of. I pray for each one of us over here, but I'm not keeping a track of those who have a relationship with Jesus who are walking with, no, no, no. But you know what I do keep a track of? That I keep a track and I, and I have a burden for people that, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, 
This is so heavy on my heart. I worry about people that are unforgiving and unmerciful. People that forget that we are forgiven people. People that forgive, forget that we've received so much. We're quick at giving, giving those cliches. Let God, let go and let God, brother. Forgive, brother. Let go, brother. Let's forgive and move on, brother. But man, what happens when we don't forgive? That's, that's not a message I hear from pulpits a lot. I have never heard a message of a pastor coming up and saying, hey, Ashish, this is exactly what's going to happen to you if you do not have heart, a heart of forgiveness. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to preach that this morning. Is that okay? Stand up to your feet. Let me, let me teach you this real quick. Here's what happens if you don't forgive. Matthew 6, 14 to 15. This next chapter. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It doesn't say big sin, small sin. It says if they sin against you, your job as a Christian, as a believer is to, what? Someone say forgive. Verse 15, don't stop there. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Like how is it okay to go into the presence of God and say, God, forgive me? How is that okay? How does that, how does that not prick my conscience? the end of that chapter in Matthew 18 in anger his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he is owed this now, now, now listen this is not just a story here's the truth this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart nada I forgive you I don't care I forgive you I don't care I'm gonna let it go I don't care, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. No, 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 no. True forgiveness comes from the heart. I'm saying fully, I fully surrender my heart. I fully give up these emotions that I've built up, these things that you've done to hurt me, to, to, to put me down. I completely and fully give it up. I don't know about y'all, but eternity in hell scares me. If you don't forgive people, the Bible says he doesn't forgive you. It's an unforgivable sin if you don't do your part. And some of us need to have the mind of Joseph. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. He chose to forget all the offenses. Can I give you three things this week to be merciful? Here you go, three things. How can I be more merciful? Give people the benefit of the doubt. Give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. Can I repeat that one more time? We have a tendency to judge, come on, my, Listen very carefully. We have the tendency to judge ourselves by our intentions. But we judge others by their actions. 
Officer pulls you over. Sorry, sorry, officer. I, I didn't mean to speed. I'm sorry, babe. I didn't mean to say that to you. Matang somebody like your offenses are always justified because your intentions can be. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean. I didn't mean for it to come off that way. I didn't mean to say that. They they probably didn't mean it that way. Hmm. But on the other side, when others are concerned, we don't judge them by their intentions. Who cares about their intentions? Who cares about what they're feeling, what they're doing, where their heart is? No, no, no. They did something, and I'm gonna judge them based on what they did. And forget it. And how many people? have been at the receiving end and the brunt of your anger and your decisions that have squashed them, that have deleted them from your life, that have completely obliterated them and their existence from your family, from your... And, and my question is, how many of us need to say, God, I need to give people the benefit of the doubt. Some of us need to focus on the good. Two, focus on the good. Can I give you a promise? Here's a promise. Everyone, and when I say everyone, I mean everyone, E-V-E-R-Y-O-N-E, everyone will fail you. Everyone will let you down. It doesn't matter how much they love you, they will disappoint you one time or another in your life. And it's so important when they do to focus on the good things to focus on the positive, to focus on the good inside of people rather than the one thing that they did wrong. Sometimes we can go behind the one that they did wrong that we can forget completely. And this master probably looked at this man and said, hey, you've been faithful, you've been a strong worker, you've been an honest worker, but in this area of financial integrity, you just failed. But I'm looking at every other thing that you have done over for me over the years and I'm gathering it inside of me to be merciful to you. But rather, we allow, we allow judgment and justice, our need to be right, our need to be validated, our need to have justice, to trump mercy so many times. That we say, I don't care about their feelings. I don't, I don't care about what they've done, this and this and this and this. The nine things that they do, great. No, 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 that one thing I'm gonna pick on, I'm gonna nag them on that one thing. I'm talking to husbands, I'm talking to wives. I'm talking to people today that need to improve your marriages and need to take decisions and say, I need to be merciful. No, 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 no. Some of y'all sat there and said, he's talking about my workplace. He's talking about the people that I meet at Walmart. No, 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 no. I'm talking about your dad, your mom, your kid, your husband, your wife. Come on. You're... Sometimes God's work starts, not sometimes, all the time. God's work starts in your own home. Start showing mercy in your home. And the third thing and the most important thing is this. Remember the warning, y'all. Remember the warning of Jesus. If you don't forgive, you are not forgiven. Let that be the determining factor. If nothing else, remember that Jesus said that you ought to forgive. That you ought to be merciful. It's not empathy. That's not what Jesus wants. It's not sympathy. It's not a, I feel you, bro. It's a, let me do something about it. It's action. 
So today, I want to ask you guys the question. I want to ask ourselves this question. And the question is simply this. Am I merciful? gave legs to the crippled, because Jesus granted sight to the blind, because Jesus opened the ears of the deaf, because Jesus found prostitutes and tax collectors and drew them into the sphere of his love, because Jesus touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable and forgave the unforgivable and welcomed the undesirable, because Jesus even now saves the otherwise unsavable. Why? Because they deserve it. And loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, not because we met Him halfway, not because we took the proper steps forward and in good faith have elevated ourselves to the place of the deserving poor, but according to His mercy. We are here because Jesus Christ didn't say with cold indifference, give them what they deserve, they brought it on themselves. Jesus Christ is the mercy of God. And seeing us in our misery and need, He doesn't just feel for us. He takes the necessary action to relieve our distress. He leaves the eternal glory of heaven and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. He condescends to us, lives among us, suffers like us, dies for us. Do you understand this? Have you experienced this? Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.